0: This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast. This episode deals with graphic content and may not be suitable for all listeners.
1: On a sunny day in July 1996, off the picturesque coast of Devon, England, fisherman John Kopick and his son were out on the water trawling for sea bass. But just as they were about to call it a day, their fishing net captured something else. A body the dead man was fully clothed and was still wearing a watch, a Rolex watch, that had stopped six days earlier. After uncovering the watch's unique serial number, the Exeter police were able to determine the drowned man's identity. 51-year-old Ronald Platt had somehow ended up at the bottom of the sea with a large gash on the back of his head. But, Was it an accidental drowning, suicide, or something more sinister? Tracing the man's last known address, the British police were led to an American man named David Davis, who claimed to be Ronald Platt's best friend. But when the police paid a second visit to Mr. Davis at his home in a small Essex village, they accidentally stumbled into a bizarre and tangled web of lies. The man who had presented himself to the police as David Davis was actually living under the name of his dead friend, Ronald Platt. And to make matters even stranger, the man impersonating Ronald Platt was living with a young woman calling herself Noelle Platt. And the couple had two young daughters also registered under the surname of Platt. After arresting the mysterious couple on charges of fraud and the murder of the real Ronald Platt, there were even more surprises in store for the British police. The American man in custody in a small British jail wasn't David Davis, and he wasn't Ronald Platt. His name was Albert Johnson Walker, a Canadian financier who had disappeared without a trace six years earlier with millions of dollars in other people's money and with his 15-year-old daughter, Sheena. But when she was arrested, 21-year-old Sheena Walker was posing as her father's wife, Noelle Platt, and she had given birth to two children since fleeing from Canada. The British police had just nabbed an international fugitive, number four on Interpol's most wanted list. But they still didn't know the entire extent of Albert Walker's criminal activity. They believed the smooth-talking fraudster was living under the name of his friend Ronald Platt to hide his true identity. But... When his trusting friend returned to England from living in Canada, Walker panicked. There couldn't be two Ronald Platt's using the same identification, so the real one had to die. Charged with murder, Albert Walker will face a jury in Devon, England. And in what will turn out to be a most unusual and sensational trial, the prosecutor's star witness Will be Walker's own daughter, Sheena. But what story will she tell? How far is she willing to go to tell the truth about her father's deception and his darkest desires? I'm Catherine Fogarty, and in this podcast, I'm telling you the true story of a sensational crime that made headlines on both sides of the Atlantic a stranger-than-fiction saga of fraud, multiple identities, and murder. And at the heart of the crimes was a man who thought he could get away with anything, a true sociopath who was willing to use and abuse anyone for his personal gain, including his own daughter. This is Trail of Pain. The Crimes of Albert Johnson Walker, Part Two.
2: Evil criminal
1: mastermind. A dead body had been trolled or a proficient Learns he was in Devon the week of Platt's murder. Albert Johnson Walker was born on August 9th, 1945, in Hamilton, Ontario. One of seven children the Walker family lived on a 56 acre farm near Freelton, Ontario. Albert's father was a trucker who was often absent from the family home. So his mother became a strict disciplinarian who often used violence to keep her children in line. Albert was a quiet kid and an average student. By high school, he had failed twice and eventually dropped out after grade 10. By age 18, he was working in a men's clothing store in Hamilton, where he developed a love for fashion that would stay with him and become part of his well-crafted persona. Two years later in 1966, he traveled to Europe. He wanted to see the world, but soon returned penniless. In the summer of 1968, Albert met 22-year-old Barbara Ann MacDonald at the University of Waterloo, where she was a student and he was working in the library, restacking books. Barbie, as her family called her, was a pretty redhead who was studying business. Originally from Air, Ontario, Barbie was a small town girl from a close-knit family who had never really had a boyfriend. But just three months after meeting, Albert and Barbara decided to get married. Her family was not pleased, but couldn't talk her out of it. She was smitten by the tall, handsome walker who had swept her off her feet with talk about international travel and his lust for the finer things in life. In 1970, two years after they were married, Albert and Barbara moved to Scotland, where Albert worked for an insurance company but the European trip was short-lived when Barbara's father suddenly died. The couple returned to her hometown of Ayr in 1971, and the following year their first child, Jillian, was born. Three more children would follow, Sheena, Duncan, and Heather. Barbara cared for the children with the help of her family, while Albert continued to struggle with finding a solid career path. After numerous odd jobs, from a cattle herder to growing vegetables to sell at the local market, Albert was finally hired as a bank teller for a trust company. He and Barbara also started a side business filing other people's income tax returns. Barbara was always good with numbers, and Albert was amazed at how many friends and neighbors would trust her with their money. Eventually, Albert quit his job at the trust company and established his own freelance bookkeeping business, Walker Financial. Then in 1978, just before their 10th wedding anniversary, the Walkers purchased a turn-of-the-century five-bedroom fieldstone home on 75 acres of land just outside Paris, Ontario. Walker Financial began to expand rapidly after acquiring another company called Oxford Bookkeeping Systems of Woodstock in 1980. Walker looked for similar companies to purchase, and by the end of the 1980s, his firm had branches in nine southwestern Ontario communities, including London, Kitchener, and Stratford. Walker was an articulate and ambitious businessman with a vision. He wanted to build a network of one-stop financial centers where clients could have their income tax done, set up a retirement account, or purchase mutual funds, government bonds, and other products. In September, 1982, Walker formed United CanVest Corp, registered in the Cayman Islands. And in his promotional literature, he promised considerable tax savings. He eventually took in $2.6 million, mainly from friends and associates, and made high-risk investments that all lost money. In 1989, two couples who were personal friends entrusted him with a total of $8.7 million, realized from the sale of their farm properties north of Toronto. The couples had met Albert Walker at the Knox United Church in Ayr, Ontario, where he served as a youth counsellor, taught Sunday school, and was a highly respected church elder. The charming family man could be found sitting in the same pew every Sunday with his wife and four children. But as more friends and neighbours entrusted Albert Walker with their hard-earned savings the local financial advisor began spending less time at church and more time away from the sleepy rural town he lived in. Walker began traveling extensively throughout the United States, the Caribbean, Britain, and Switzerland, and was not shy about spending his clients' money on fine restaurants, clothing, and antiques. And while he tried to keep up the appearance, of a happily married man, Walker began having extramarital affairs, including with the wife of the assistant minister at his church. People in the congregation started talking and it wasn't long before the whole town knew what Albert Walker was up to. But when that affair fizzled, he moved on to his secretary, whom he took on overseas trips. Barbara soon found out and decided she'd had enough of Albert's lying and cheating. In 1990, the Walkers separated after 22 years of marriage. Barbara Walker applied for custody of their four children, spousal support, and wanted to remain in the family farmhouse in Paris. But Albert was not planning on going quietly. He wanted Barbara to move out of the farmhouse so he could move his secretary in. You better do as I say, he told Barbara. If you mess with me, I'll blow you away. Suddenly, the War of the Walkers had taken a violent turn, and Barbara took Albert's threats seriously. Within a day, she'd dropped off all his belongings at his girlfriend's. Albert had been unceremoniously ejected from the marital home, but he had no plans to leave the children behind. So one day while Barbara was at work, Albert picked up the children and took them to a home he had rented in nearby Brantford, Ontario. He then convinced the kids to write personal notes as to why they wanted to live with him instead of their mother. He then presented the handwritten notes to a judge during a custody hearing. 15-year-old Sheena Walker listed three reasons for preferring her father over her mother. She would enjoy more freedom, more affection, and fewer disagreements. I don't feel that the relationship between my mother and I contains enough love and affection for us to be together on a daily basis, she wrote. However, my father shows me a lot of affection on a regular basis, and we are very close. She was daddy's girl, as Albert Walker affectionately called her. On August 31st, 1990, a judge awarded Albert Walker interim custody of his two eldest daughters, 18-year-old Jillian and 15-year-old Sheena, but left the two younger children 11-year-old Duncan and 8-year-old Heather with his wife and ordered him to pay $300 per month in support. Albert Walker was not accustomed to losing, and his anger towards his ex-wife erupted into a physical altercation when he tried to force his way into their former home. This time, Barbara called the police, and Albert Walker was arrested. And charged with forcible entry. His fingerprints were taken and he was booked to appear in court. But Albert Walker had no intentions of showing up for any court date. He had much different plans. One month later, Walker charged over $12,000 on his American Express card for two first-class tickets on British Airways. Then, On December 5, 1990, he and his daughter Sheena took a flight to London, England. When Barbara Walker didn't hear from her daughter Sheena over the 1990 Christmas holidays, she became concerned. While there had been some family tension in the past year as a result of the Walker's separation and custody fight, Barbara knew that her daughter wouldn't miss calling on Christmas Day. But since leaving on a supposed European ski vacation, no one had heard from Albert Walker or his 15-year-old daughter. Barbara Walker notified the police and reported her daughter missing. Albert Walker's business associates were also growing concerned that they hadn't heard from him, and investors soon discovered that large sums of money were missing. A police investigation soon revealed that between July and December of 1990 alone, Albert Walker had withdrawn over $1 million from accounts he controlled. Forensic accountants would later uncover close to $10 million in fraudulent activity. Banking records showed that before he fled from Canada, Walker used his clients' money to purchase pound sterling, Swiss francs, French francs, and gold bars from a Toronto based currency company. He had also moved large sums of money from Canadian bank accounts to accounts in Geneva, Switzerland. The upstanding, well respected financial advisor had deceived his fellow churchgoers and friends out of millions of dollars the Ontario Provincial Police, in conjunction with the RCMP, eventually compiled enough information to lay 37 charges of theft, fraud, and money laundering. Albert Walker was now Canada's most wanted man and number four on Interpol's list of international fugitives. But where was he? A few clues left behind pointed to Switzerland. While the Financial Times of Canada reported he was in France. In time, there would be multiple sightings all around the world. And while the Canadian and international police were chasing down the missing money trail and hunting for Albert Walker, Barbara Walker, his ex-wife, was desperate to find her daughter. Barbara had discovered even more disturbing details about her husband's activities prior to his disappearance. She learned that he had taken out a $90,000 second mortgage on the family home shortly before they separated and had helped their 18-year-old daughter Jillian get breast implants. And their family doctor advised her that Albert had helped 15-year-old Sheena obtain a prescription for birth control pills just a few weeks before they left the country. The Walker split was the talk of the town. Nothing like this had ever happened in Paris, Ontario. And most of the community felt sorry for Barbara Walker. Many of them had been bilked out of money, but she was missing a child. Friends and churchgoers helped raise funds so Barbara could hire a private detective to search for Sheena. Sheena. But the trail had already gone cold. Two months after leaving Canada, Walker resurfaced in London, England, as a wealthy American entrepreneur named David Wallace Davis. It was later discovered that the real David Davis was a British-born Canadian who had been a client of Walker's back in Ontario. Walker had stolen his client's birth certificate, something the real David Davis wouldn't discover for a long time. But the man using his identity in London was enjoying his new European surroundings and his new life. The former Albert Walker rented a two-bedroom flat in the London borough of Fulham, paying in cash, of course and was also doling out cash for antiques and fine art. He incorporated a new company called Cavendish Corporation in order to move money around, and even began changing his appearance. The out-of-shape 45-year-old joined a local gym to lose weight, dyed his hair, shaved off his trademark mustache, and started getting regular facials to firm up his facial muscles. Within a few months, Albert was almost unrecognizable. And 15-year-old Sheena had also dyed her hair and changed her first name to Noel. London was theirs for the taking. But it wasn't long after arriving in London that Walker decided to relocate. It was too risky to stay in one place for too long. He set his sights on the north of England and the posh Yorkshire town of Harrogate. And it was there in July of 1991 where he met Elaine Boyes, a 31-year-old receptionist for a fine art auctioneer. Elaine was instantly charmed by the well-dressed, handsome stranger. As the two chatted, Elaine told the friendly gentleman about her boyfriend, Ronald Platt, a TV repairman who dreamed of moving back to Canada, where he had lived as a child. In fact, Ronald was so passionate about Canada, he even had a maple leaf tattooed on the back of his hand. The American said he knew Canada well. Then, in a bold move, the stranger invited Elaine to work for him. He said he needed a personal assistant and she would be perfect for the job. Elaine was taken aback by such an audacious offer, but put it down to the American way. And within a few short weeks, the charismatic stranger was whining and dining both Elaine and her boyfriend, Ron Platt. The man loved to brag about all the money he had and the people he knew. Walker, posing as David Davis, offered the couple positions in his new company Cavendish Corporation. They accepted, and soon Elaine was jetting off to Switzerland, Italy, and France to open bank accounts and exchange Swiss francs into British pounds. In time, eight accounts were set up, including one in her boyfriend's name. When Elaine asked about the need for multiple bank accounts in various countries, her new boss explained That he had just been through a nasty divorce and he was hiding assets from his ex-wife. Odd, thought Elaine, but she didn't inquire any further. It just wasn't in her nature to pry. David Davis was very generous to his two new employees, taking them out for expensive dinners, helping them to buy a new flat, and he even helped Ron set up his own TV repair business. Then in 1992, he gave Ronald and Elaine two one-way airline tickets to Calgary, Alberta as a Christmas present. He knew it was Ron's dream to move back to Canada, where he had lived as a child. Ron Platt was thrilled with the gift, but Elaine had mixed feelings. She wasn't sure that she wanted to move to Canada, but if she loved Ron, she knew she would have to go with him. There was only one catch to Mr. Davis's kind offer. They had to leave England before the end of February. He didn't explain why. And one other small detail. He needed Ron Platt to leave behind his birth certificate and driver's license for business reasons. Platt was grateful to Mr. Davis and trusted him, so he did as he was asked. But as the police later discovered, as soon as Ronald Platt got on a plane to Canada, Albert Walker, AKA David Davis, assumed Ronald Platt's identity. But just five months later, Elaine Boys returned to England. Her Canadian adventure hadn't worked out and she had left Ron in Calgary and returned to Harrogate. Now, she was back living in the same town as her former boss, who had stolen her boyfriend's identity. That certainly wasn't going to work out too well for the new Ronald Platt. Albert Walker and his daughter had set up a beautiful home in Harrogate, a spa resort town in North Yorkshire, 350 kilometers north of London. Albert had joined the local tennis club, and Sheena, going by the name of Noelle Platt, was taking French lessons. But now, with Elaine boys back, they had to find a new town in order to keep their identity theft under wraps. And there was another problem. Elaine knew Sheena was Walker's daughter, but now Sheena was pregnant and posing as Noelle Platt, Ron Platt's young wife. Without word to anyone, Walker and Sheena quickly packed up and moved hundreds of kilometers away to a small village called Woodham Walter in Essex County, one hour's drive south of London. There, they rented a remote property known locally as Little London House, a perfect location for two people who were on the run. The local townsfolk instantly welcomed the American couple, He was charming and outgoing, joining the local tennis club and even buying a boat, while his much younger wife seemed to keep to herself. But she was busy with the couple's little girl, Emily, and soon enough, another baby was on the way. Life was good for the Platt's. But while the pretend Platt's were enjoying a charmed family life in the English countryside the real Ron Platt was struggling to keep his life together in Calgary, Alberta. And he was about to make a big decision that would alter the course of his life and that of Albert Walker's. In May of 1995, three years after landing in Calgary, Alberta on a cold February day, Ronald Platt returned to England. Elaine had left him two years earlier. He'd lost his job and he hated the Calgary winters. Albert Walker had kept in contact with the real Ronald Platt and spoke to Elaine occasionally. He needed to keep tabs on them. But when Ronald Platt returned to England, Albert Walker had a big problem. His identity theft was about to be uncovered. And if the real Ronald Platt went to the police, Walker's true identity and all of his crimes would be revealed. His new idyllic life in England with his lovely young wife and two small children would be over, and he'd be shipped back to Canada to face multiple fraud charges and certain prison time. Albert Walker, the self-professed international man of money, could not let a TV repairman destroy all that he had created through years of lies and deception. Why couldn't Ronald Platt just have stayed in Canada? Everything would have worked out. But now that he was back, Albert Walker knew something drastic had to be done. The real Ronald Platt had to die. So on a beautiful July weekend, Albert Walker invited Ronald Platt to Devon to go sailing on his yacht, the Lady Jane, named after his three-year-old daughter, Emily Jane. Two friends would set sail on that perfect day off the southwest coast of England, but only one of them would survive the trip. On October 31st, 1996, the man posing as Ron Platt, a.k.a. David Davis, and his wife, Noelle, were arrested at their home in the village of Woodham Walter and charged with the murder of 51-year-old Ronald Platt, whose body had been fished out of the sea three months earlier. Searching the mysterious couple's home, The police found thousands of dollars in various foreign currencies, dozens of gold bars, banking documentation from other countries, and identification in the name of Ronald Platt, David Davis, and other names. The British police knew that the man and his wife had stolen Ron Platt's identity and had likely killed him to cover up their fraud, which obviously involved international money laundering Based on the evidence seized at their home. But there were even more surprises in store for the detectives in Essex and Exeter counties. A check with Interpol had revealed that the man they had in custody was an international fugitive from Canada named Albert Johnson Walker. And the young woman with him wasn't his wife, she was his daughter who had given birth to two children since leaving Canada six years earlier. The case of identity theft, extensive fraud, and possible cold-blooded murder also likely involved incest. The police had just captured a
2: monster.
1: Despite believing that the newly identified Albert Walker was responsible for the death of Ronald Platt, the Exeter police needed enough information and evidence to make sure he would stand trial. So, for two days, a team of officers combed through every inch of the little London farmhouse. They were discovering that Albert Walker was many things, a liar, a crook, a murderer, and luckily for them, a pack rat. David Davis and the phony Ron Platt had collected hundreds of legal, banking, and personal documents in the six years he had been in England. And it looked like he'd kept them all, even train tickets and grocery receipts. But in those seemingly insignificant receipts, they found one dated for July 8, 1996, that was definitely important. It was a receipt for a boating supply store in Dartmouth, and one of the items purchased was an anchor, a unique plow anchor. Is this what Albert Walker had used to weigh down Ronald Platt when he threw him overboard? The body didn't have an anchor attached to it when it was found, but the autopsy had revealed some strange bruising on Ronald Platt's hip the police contacted John Kopik, the fisherman who had fished in Ron Platt's body that July day. Had he seen an anchor? Yes, said the seaman. There was an anchor that had been caught in the same net, a plow anchor. John Kopik told the detectives that he had shown it to the police that day when they came aboard his trawler to remove the body. But they weren't interested in it, so John had given it to another fisherman for his speedboat. The police needed to find that anchor, and so began a desperate search. The fisherman had decided he couldn't use it, so he'd passed it on to his girlfriend. The girlfriend didn't want it, so she'd given it to her mother. The mother had no use for it, so she'd decided to sell it in a yard sale. By the time the police found the girlfriend's mother, the yard sale was long over. Did she happen to know who bought the anchor, the police asked in desperation? No, said a Mrs. Patricia Johnson. It didn't sell, so it's in the storage area under the front steps. Do you want it, she asked the two officers. Finally, they had solid evidence that could possibly link Albert Johnson to Ron Platt's murder and they had uncovered other compelling evidence. During their search of Walker's home, they found keys to a storage locker in Kelmsford. Inside the locker, they discovered a set of Samsonite suitcases with Ronald Platt's personal belongings. They also found an Alpelco GXL Global Positioning System, a navigational system used by sailors. If they could download the information stored on the device, they could determine where Albert Walker's boat was in and around the 20th of July. On November 4th, 1996, Albert Walker was formally charged with the murder of Ronald Platt. His new home while he waited for his trial was Bristol Prison, one of the country's worst and a far cry from the five-star accommodation he was used to when he booked into hotels across Europe using other people's money. Sheena had been released, and the police determined that she knew nothing about Ron Platt's murder. She, too, had been another victim of her father's, a victimization that had resulted in the birth of two children. One month later, on December 6th, 21-year-old Sheena Walker and her two young daughters flew home to Canada to be reunited with her mother and the rest of her family. It would be a difficult homecoming. On a sunny day in late June 1998, almost two years since Ronald Platt's body had been found in a fishing net off the coast of Devon, the murder trial of Canadian Albert Johnson Walker began in the historic town courthouse. The now gray-haired defendant was led into the courtroom. Prison life had aged the 52-year-old. A jury of eight women and four men had been selected in 15 minutes, and the prosecution's case was simple and straightforward. The Crown's theory was that on July 20th, 1996, Albert Walker took Ronald Platt out on his boat with the sole intention of killing him. Walker struck Platt in the back of the head, rendering him unconscious, and then tossed him overboard with a 10-pound plow anchor attached to his belt. But Walker had made three key mistakes. He had left the Rolex watch on Platt's wrist, He had kept the receipt for the anchor he had purchased and he had unknowingly registered the time and date of his nautical movements on the boat's GPS navigational system. The police had established Platt's identity as well as the date and time of his death through the Rolex watch after his body was found on July 28th along with an anchor by a commercial fisherman trawling off the southwest coast of England. Investigators found the anchor purchased by Walker, and a second examination of Platt's body discovered physical evidence suggesting that it had been fastened to Platt's waist, causing the unique bruising on his hip. And an examination of the GPS navigational system that Walker kept aboard his boat placed him within four nautical miles of where Platt's body was found. The police had also found microscopic pieces of blood, scalp, and hair belonging to Ron Platt on the Lady Jane, Albert Walker's boat. Walker had cleaned the boat meticulously, but hadn't eliminated all the evidence. What was the motive, asked Prosecutor Charles Barton. He told the jurors That he would demonstrate how Walker had befriended Platt and his longtime girlfriend Elaine Boyes in early 1991. He then gave Elaine Boyes a job with a company he set up to launder stolen money and provided Ronald Platt with money to start a television repair business. Then, in December 1992, Walker bought the couple airline tickets to Canada and gave them money to start new lives in Calgary where they settled. In exchange, Walker convinced Platt to give him his birth certificate and driver's license so Walker could take over Platt's identity. But the scheme began to unravel when Elaine Boys returned home in July, 1993, and Ronald Platt followed two years later. Wanting to be close to his friend, the man he knew as David Davis, Platt settled in Kelmsford just a few kilometers from the village of Woodham Walter, where Walker was living as Ronald Platt. The risk of the situation was all too obvious, Barton told the jurors. The man Albert Walker threw into the sea was killed because there were two Ronald Platt's, said the prosecutor. And that was going to prove to be a matter of acute embarrassment to the phony one, he added. Walker, Barton maintained, had been plotting the murder for some time. Ten days earlier, he had helped Platt move his belongings into storage. And after he killed him, he told people that Platt had moved to France. The prosecution's murder case against Albert Walker looked extremely damaging. But when the prosecutor went on to explain that Walker had been living with his daughter, as husband and wife, and that Sheena had given birth to two children, several members of the jury gasped out loud. When it came time for the defense's opening remarks, Walker's lawyer, Richard Ferguson, stated that the prosecution's case against his client rested largely on circumstantial evidence. There were no witnesses to put Platt on Walker's boat on the day he died and nobody had seen the two men together for at least 10 days prior to the murder. Speaking in a relaxed, matter-of-fact style, Ferguson suggested that there was ample evidence to conclude that Platt was depressed and suicidal in the weeks leading up to his death and may have taken his own life. After opening statements, the prosecutor called his first witness. A young, attractive woman entered the hushed courtroom. One week before her 23rd birthday, Sheena Walker had returned to England to testify against her father. I want you to look straight ahead, said the prosecutor, knowing that the defendant would likely try to intimidate her. For the next 90 minutes, Sheena kept her gaze on the jurors as she recounted her six-year ordeal with her father. Remaining composed, Sheena described their transitory life, constantly moving until they settled in Little London Farmhouse in the tiny Essex village of Woodham, Walter. Sheena stated that they began living as husband and wife in 1993 after she had given birth to her first daughter. It had been her father's idea since she was a young unwed mother. Then, in 1996, she gave birth to a second daughter. The identity of the children's father was not asked nor revealed. And while she evaded most questions related to their living arrangements, she was clear in her testimony regarding her father's attempts to get her to lie about the events surrounding July 20, 1996, when Ronald Platt was murdered. At the time, Sheena and her daughters were enjoying a vacation with her father in Devon, close to where Albert Walker had his sailboat, the Lady Jane, moored. On Saturday, July 20th, Sheena said that her father went sailing on his boat. She assumed he was alone. She did not know Ron Platt was with him, and in fact, she hadn't seen Platt for months. Her father had told her he had moved to France to start a new business. Sheena said that on July 20th, her father left their hotel room very early that morning and did not come back until after 10 p.m. Later, she told the court that after she had returned to Canada, her father had called her from prison to try to get her to change her statement about that day. He wanted her to say that she knew Ron Platt was in Devon on that July holiday and had been on the boat with her father. But instead, she had called the police. Albert Walker no longer had a hold over his daughter. When asked about their life on the run and using fraudulent identities, Sheena admitted that she knew very little about the money her father had stolen from clients in Canada and believed they were hiding from her mother. When the defense questioned Sheena, she was asked again about that July 1996 weekend. Are you sure that your father didn't mention that Ron Platt was out sailing with him? Asked the defense attorney. Absolutely not, Sheena reiterated. Besides, she added, Ron was not partial to water. He couldn't swim and he didn't like boats. Sheena had stood firm and the jury believed her they took special note of what she had just revealed about Ron Platt. Over the next several days, more witnesses were called. Fisherman John Kopick, who had found Platt's body, a pathologist who had examined the anchor and the unique bruising on Platt's hip, and many other neighbors and acquaintances that had all been lied to and misled by either David Davis or the phony Ron Platt. Albert Walker had told so many lies to so many people, it was hard to make sense of it all. But the jury was getting a clear picture of a despicable character who preyed on innocent people and lied, it seemed, simply for the pleasure of it. And now, on day five of the trial, the jury was going to hear directly from the man of many identities. And what lies was he about to tell them? Seated in the witness box, Albert Walker, the former Paris, Ontario financial advisor, admitted stealing money from clients and investors in Canada. He also admitted to lying about his identity and background to everyone he met during his six years as a fugitive in England. Albert was a confidence man who relied on people's trust. And he had succeeded very well, he thought. But he denied murdering Ronald Platt. Through tears, Walker denied killing the TV repairman whose identity he had used for three years. He went on to say that Ron Platt was a very nice person and a good friend. I had no reason in the world to ever kill him or ever harm him, he said. I've never hit or struck anyone in my life, he added. I'm a very passive person. Under questioning from his own lawyer, Walker said he last saw Platt on July 10th while vacationing in the southwest of England near Devon with Sheena and the two girls. He said Ron told him he was moving to France to start a new business. Albert had helped him move out of his apartment a few weeks before and had given Ron 3,000 pounds to help him out. He assumed Ron would get in touch when he got settled. During a three-hour cross-examination, Walker carefully avoided revealing the nature of his relationship with daughter Sheena, who fled Canada with him at age 15 and bore two daughters while they were on the run. It was the most disturbing question that hovered over the entire trial. Was Albert Walker the father of Emily, now four, and Lily, two? But the judge had made it clear to both lawyers that the answer to that question had no relevance to the murder case. After his testimony concluded, Walker sat passively in the prisoner's dock as the Crown and the defense made their final arguments to the jury. By the end of the trial, prosecutor Charles Barton had called or entered written testimony from 36 witnesses. The defense lawyer had called two. Barton argued that the combination of evidence, motive, and character should lead the jurors to only one conclusion. That man is a murderer, he said, pointing a finger straight at Walker. Barton added that Walker had executed Ronald Platt with a degree of planning that one could call chilling. He is a determined, despicable man, said the prosecutor. He is evil. In his closing remarks, defense attorney Richard Ferguson tried to separate his client's character from the facts and evidence of the murder case. Albert Walker was a liar, and he had deceived many people, but that did not make him a murderer. The Crown, he said, did not have a confession, and they did not have any eyewitnesses that put Ronald Platt on Walker's boat in and around July 20th, 1996. What the Crown did have, Ferguson contended, was a good deal of circumstantial evidence. There was ample room for reasonable doubt, he said. The Crown had not proven its case. The trial had lasted only two weeks. On the afternoon of July 6, 1998, the jury of eight women and four men began deliberations. If convicted, Walker would likely spend the rest of his life in prison. But in the event of an acquittal, British authorities planned to rearrest Walker and ship him back to Canada, where he faced 37 charges of theft and fraud in connection with the $3.2 million stolen from two financial companies he controlled. Fortunately for those awaiting justice for the murder of Ronald Platt, They didn't have to wait long. The jury deliberated less than two hours before reaching a verdict. Guilty, declared the jury foreman in a clear, unfaltering voice. Albert Walker showed no emotion. Before sentencing, the judge spoke directly to Walker. The killing was carefully planned and cunningly executed with chilling efficiency, he said. You are an intelligent and ruthless man who poses a serious threat to anyone who stands in your way. He then sentenced Albert Walker to a 15-year prison term before the possibility of parole. Walker's appeal one year later was denied. On February 22, 2005, Seven years after his conviction, the Globe and Mail newspaper reported that Albert Walker would be transferred out of England to a Canadian prison, where he faced additional charges of fraud, theft, and money laundering. Walker had stolen millions of dollars from his Canadian clients, many of whom had lost their life savings. On July 23rd, 2007, Albert Walker was sentenced in Kingston, Ontario to four years for fraud and one year concurrent for violations of the Bankruptcy and Insolvency Act of Canada. And while many of his elderly Canadian victims were happy that he was finally paying for defrauding them, there was one person who was deeply concerned by his return to Canada. After years of silence, Sheena Walker spoke out for the first time to say she was shocked that her notorious father had been allowed to return to Canada. Albert Walker is an evil man and a con artist who manipulated me and lied to me just like everybody else, she said. The now 29-year-old mother of two daughters, 11 and 9, said she feared for her family's safety. I believe that he poses a threat and that I need to protect my family from him. But fortunately for Sheena and the rest of the Walker family, Albert Walker remains in prison. In July 2021, the Parole Board of Canada decided against Albert Walker's bid for freedom. In making its decision, the Parole Board asked Walker to describe what led to the fraud and theft charges. Walker said his biggest risk factor at the time was insecurity and the need for love and affection from others. Asked about the toll of his financial crimes on his victims, he maintained that none had had to file for bankruptcy or face financial devastation. Walker then talked about the 1996 murder of Ronald Platt claiming it was self-defense. He said Platt had attacked him on the boat, and during their struggle, he had hit his head and fallen into the water. The board concluded Walker lacked remorse and didn't have a sound understanding of how his actions affected his victims. They also stated that Walker continued to have a superficial understanding of his callous deceptive behavior, and need for control. Albert Walker was denied full parole, and his request for day passes to attend church was also denied. Now 75 years old, Walker has been imprisoned for 25 years and remains in a minimum security institution to this day. Sheena Walker is now 47 years old. Her daughters are women in their 20s, and their paternity has never been revealed. Albert Walker's life story has been the subject of three books, including one written by his ex-wife, Barbara Walker. It has also been retold in a made-for-TV movie, a documentary, and a play. This is a
0: Story Hunter Productions podcast, written and produced by Catherine Fogarty. Audio production is by Daniel Borgers at Borgers Music. Visit us at storyhunterpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter to get more information and updates about new podcasts. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you enjoyed this story and others, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app. And feel free to leave us a review. We appreciate you listening. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance.